Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast here with Daniel Vincent and Sean Cheatham. Uh, we have a pretty packed episode today. We're going to be diving into some Doug Wilson territory. Um, but before we dive into that, I want to mention um, a book giveaway that we're putting on, um, The Broken Wharf, which is a UK-based publishing, uh, confessionally Baptist publishing company. Um, they have graciously offered a sponsor a giveaway of two of Oliver Allman Smith's book, um, Under God, Over the People. Um, some of you probably recall that we had Pastor Oliver as a guest on our show talking about biblical view and confessional view of government, which this book covers. And we're giving away two copies of that. You can enter to win on our Twitter page. Uh, Twitter handle at the particular B. You can find it on our Facebook page and also on our Instagram. There's a link there. You click, put in your email address, and there's other ways that you can get better chances to win and uh, put in more entries. So head on over to um, our social media and enter to win. Um, I think next week we'll be picking um, a winner and we'll announce the winner. So head over there. Um, Under God, Over the People by Oliver Almond Smith. Um, so head over there and support these brothers at the Broken Wharf. But with that, let's dive into our discussion today. So we're going to be talking about Federal Vision. Um, Federal Vision has been around for quite a while. Um, so apologies if this is um, familiar ground for a lot of you. Um, this is our first time covering it. Um, and this actually was a request of um, someone in our church to discuss this issue on our show. Um, and we thought it would be a good discussion to have. And I think it's relevant. And it just happens to um, show up at the time of no quarter November, which is um, something that Doug Wilson does where uh, he speaks unqual uh, with uh, unqualified words, apparently. Um, so it's it's funny that this happens a fall uh, in that time frame that Wilson usually is biting at people um, in in a stronger way, I guess. Um, so it wasn't planned, but it just providentially fell that way. Um, but we want to say um, before we get going, um, this is not an exhaustive presentation of Federal Vision, and this is really, these are just qualifications. You know, people might come back later and be like, you know, why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you talk about that? Or you didn't talk about this. Just want to qualify at a time. We're not giving an exhaustive presentation of Federal Vision. It's a very complicated and deep um, topic to get into, but we're going to hit what we think are some of the, the major tenets of it and some of the most important tenets of it that are relevant to the discussion um, we're also not going to be doing an extensive exegetical response or an extensive response to the position. If we're not, if we're not presenting the position as a whole, we're not going to present a full exhaustive response to it. Um, you know, the assumption is that people know what justification by faith alone is. People know, have a basic understanding of covenant theology and typology, you know, what the new covenant is, et cetera. We're not going to lay the groundwork again for those things necessarily. Um, but so we just want to put that up front. So if there's any dissenters that want to come back and, and say, well, you didn't say this, you misrepresented him here, you omitted this. The point is not to um, give an exhaustive presentation of the position. We're hitting important points of the position, but not necessarily everything. Um, and Sean, I know you want to say something, too. Yeah, I just had a little bit of a preface. Um, I know Doug Wilson gets a lot of hate from people that disagree with him on cultural issues. And a lot of times it seems like people are just reaching out to anything to grab and bash him with. And I just wanted to make it clear from the start that that's not what we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. We, uh, I mean, 
I'm not going to say I agree with him on everything, but in general, from what I've seen, I seem to agree with him on cultural issues. Um, so that's that's not what's going on here. And I'd also um, just request our audience as they're going through the video, if you feel the need to say, or at least from the outset, if you feel the need to say you're 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 misrepresenting Doug, you haven't you haven't read him carefully, you haven't listened to him carefully. He's already addressed this. That um, you do take the time to actually listen to what we're saying, um, mm-hmm. lest uh, lest you fall into the same trap you're accusing us of. Uh, because we have spent a fair bit of time studying for this, preparing for this, making sure that okay, am I am I really understanding what he's saying here? I'm I'm, I'm not just reading this through a lens here. Is he actually saying what I think he's saying? So um, I mean, at the end, if you still disagree, you're you're free to comment. But um, we have spent a lot of time with this, and we would ask our listeners to just listen to us and not immediately put up the the deflectors of oh you're 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 just you haven't read him carefully. Yeah, Doug Wilson, um, you know, he he has a pretty faithful following. And um, I think that it can spurn some reactions um, to faithful followers uh, when they see their leader being criticized. Um, And the point here is not to, you know, just uh, bash Wilson, but there are serious errors that we see that need uh, that we feel should be addressed. Um, In our discussion, we're going to point to what we see as some of those uh, serious errors. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and dive in. Um, so if there's any, and feel free to ask questions, you can put them in the chat um, or uh, put them in comments and we maybe we can try and get to them later. Um, this is to be a discussion, um, but we do believe that there are some serious um, gospel issues and covenant, uh, covenant theology issues as it relates to Wilson. So we're going to dive into some of that today. Um, but a little bit of background on Federal Vision. Um, Doug Wilson quotes this in his book, Reform is Not Enough. And by the way, if you want to know what his position is on Federal Vision, read his book, Reform is Not Enough. That really lays out his understanding of covenant theology. Um, I, I guess you could say that's his manifesto. Uh, it, the book is really meant to be a clarification against with accusations, um, accusations against him as it relates to federal vision. So he's defending himself in that book. So if you want to know what he believes about this, um, at least the core tenets of what he believes on federal vision, that is a good resource to go to. But he, towards the beginning of the book, he says this, uh, quote, on June 22nd, 2002, Covenant Presbytery of the RPCUS declared that certain teachings at a pastor's conference presented by Steve uh, Schlizel I think I pronounced that right. Steve Wilkins, John Barak, and as the Victorians would have put it, the present writer involved a, quote, fundamental denial of the essence of the Christian gospel in the denial of justification by faith alone, end quote. So it seems that this controversy surrounding federal vision went back to the early 2000s, at least. There may have been other discussions um, before then, but it seems that uh, at the very least, this really started to come to a head um, in the early 2000s. Um, and then later on, you have this joint statement on Federal Vision that comes out. You can actually find this at federal-vision.com. Um, and it was signed in 2007, Doug Wilson being one of the signers. And there are other various uh, ministers, teachers, etc. that have signed this. 
Um, but you can go read the full statement for yourself. It's still available online. Um, but it, it does seem that the position of Federal Vision as time went on became more solidified. So 2007, you see the joint statement being signed. Um, 2010, we see um, uh, the second printing of uh, Reformed is Not Enough. I believe it's 2010. Um, so again, you see over time, these views are being solidified, being clarified more, um, and, and being put out there more. Um, so there, yeah, so we, we see that position being pushed. Um, so Wilson, again, is one of the signers of the joint statement, and it, it's a mixture of CREC ministers and or teachers. Um, CREC, uh, you have CREC, PCA, and there's some generic ministers and teachers there. Uh, CREC, it's a communion. It's communion of reformed evangelical churches. So it's really not any one particular denomination that's part of that group. Um, you have Presbyterians. There could be reformed Baptists. It's kind of a mishmash of different reform groups together into one uh, denomination. So it's not necessarily Presbyterian, not necessarily Baptist, just confessional reform people who would claim to be confessional reform people, I believe. Um, but I want to read a few notes from the statement before we dive into Doug Wilson that I think are important as we go through our discussion today um, as founders. And so I think an important uh, statement that we find uh, from the Federal Vision Joint Statement. It says, quote, we offer this statement in good faith, and we pray that it will do some good in promoting unity in the broader church. At the same time, we recognize that some of our differences with our brothers in Christ are subsystematic and may not be obvious on the surface, on the level of systematic theology. What one writer described as looking at the same theology, different religion, end quote. And I think this is a very important statement because as we're going to see, Doug Wilson will use terminology that we're familiar with, justification by faith alone, imputation, um, the covenant, you know, the covenant of grace or the new covenant. He'll use very familiar language, but um, he will not necessarily have the same meaning behind them. So it seems that this, the joint statement is self-aware that the way that they speak of certain things may not be necessarily obvious to others, Right. And I think we're going to see that very clearly. Um, some other key parts of this of the joint statement, quote, some of these areas would include but not be limited to whether or not the imputation of the act of obedience of Christ, as traditionally understood, is to be affirmed in its classic form. Some of us affirm this and some do not. Uh, we would see that as extremely problematic. Um, and that is a that's an immediate red flag as you're studying federal vision. Um, another one. Quote, we deny that faithfulness to the gospel message requires any particular doctrinal formulation of the imputation of the act of obedience of Christ. What matters is that we confess that our salvation is all of Christ and not from us, end quote. Now, it's important to point out that Wilson does believe in the act, the imputation of the act of obedience of Christ and the imputation of the passive obedience of Christ. But since he signed this statement, he does not believe that it is necessary to the gospel message which is extremely problematic. Um, so he, he doesn't see it as necessarily uh, uh, as important to the gospel, at, at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. Could I, I comment on that real quick? Yeah. Cause yeah. that, that one, uh, that one blew me away a little bit. Um, <laughs> and some of this stems from um, who's uh, Norman Shepard, who's not necessarily the founder of federal visionism, but in the 70s and 80s, he was saying a lot of things 
and his ideas sort of influenced the people that would come to um, sign the statement. Not everybody was equally influenced. Uh, for example, uh, Doug Wilson says that he actually had very little contact contact with uh, Norman Shepard, but a lot of his ideas were were um, influencing them, and he explicitly denied the imputation of the active obedience of Christ. And for me, I would not want to sign a statement with someone that left that open in the sense of there are plenty of um, there are plenty of statements I would sign that don't explicitly mention it one way or the other. But to say explicitly, oh, it, it does. Uh, some people hold to it. Some people don't. That's for me the equivalent of signing a statement uh, saying, well, there are some of us that have different views than the traditional view on um, Jesus being God, but uh, that's not relevant to our statement here. It's just such a weird thing to to sign when when the imputation of the active obedience of Christ is is central to our justification. How do we how do we have right standing with God? You either have to lower your if you're saying that there is no imputation of Christ's righteousness. You're saying either God's standards are much lower than they actually are, or we're in some way contributing to our salvation. So um, I'm glad that Doug explicitly affirms, no, I do believe in that, but it's just such a, a bizarre thing that you would ever want to be associated with that um, it, it is a major red flag. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's not consistent at all to say, well, I believe in the active and passive obedience of Christ. And he'll say in the video we're going to play, he'll say, that both the, the active and passive obedience being imputed is a forensic act. So he sees it as, you know, part of our standing before God. It's it's what our judicial standing before God is based on. But then he'll sign a statement that says, well, it's not necessary um, to a gospel formulation. So you got to wonder exactly where he falls. Um, at the very least, he's being extremely inconsistent, extremely inconsistent. And it's it's dangerous language to use. Um, I think we can see very clearly Romans one that the uh, justification is absolute by faith alone is absolutely part of the gospel. Paul makes that very clear. It's revealed from faith to faith. Um, so, and we'll dive into more of his understanding on faith in a bit. Um, anything else to add, Sean? No, no, I think okay. we can keep going. Okay. Um, so now diving into more of some of his theological formulations around this. Um, Wilson does believe in two covenant membership that you can have unbelievers uh, and believers, both as members of the new covenant and both united to Jesus Christ, um, which will come into play as we go along here. Um, there is some uh, controversy, I guess, that he may have recanted his views on federal vision. Uh, we don't see any evidence on that. And actually, he explicitly states in an article that he did on his blog called blog mad blog. This was in 2017. Um, the title of the article is federal vision, no Moss. Um, he says that he recants the title federal vision, but not its theology. So he says this quote, this statement represents a change in what I will call what I believe. It does not represent any substantial shift or sea change in the content of what I believe. Um, so that's very, very important. And if you read the article, before you get to this section where he clarifies this, it you could get the impression, at least from uh, you know the way I read it, 
um, that he was changing his mind. Like if you didn't read the whole article, you might get the impression that, okay, maybe he's coming around and, and these things are changing. But then he's very clear. No, I'm just saying that I don't like the term federal vision, but the substance of what I signed, I fully hold to. I'm fine. With, I just don't like the terminology. And that's uh, he um, goes on to say, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that's important to our, our critique today. Um, yeah, we recognize that Doug Wilson doesn't affirm everything that every signer, the the um, statement on federal vision affirmed. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of the core things, this this uh, article was from 2017. It appears very much so that he's still um, doing the exact same or teaching the exact same thing. And um, we want to specifically talk about what was teaching uh taught there um so yeah we're, we're not we're not because part of the article was i don't like being lumped in with all these guys where it's a spectrum of belief mm -hmm. um so i don't think that the title is helpful uh we're going to continue to use the title because it is we think that it is a um uh, a good title for this this um groupings of belief even if not all the members were uh on the same page as one another yeah, that, that's a good point. There, it is a spectrum. They all, all believe the same thing about federal vision. Some, as Wilson will call the oatmeal stout guys in the mm -hmm. video watching, the guys who take it farther than he would, he would consider himself more of a conservative view of federal vision, but he would still fall into the camp and agree with those core teachings surrounding federal vision. Um, I want to read one more quote from that article. Um he said, quote, I would still want to affirm everything I signed off on in the Federal Vision Statement, but would also want to point out two things about that statement. First, it was a consensus document. I would now want to go further in some directions with that statement, while other signatories would almost certainly want to go further in other directions. So he's clarifying there's a spectrum. And that brings us to the second point. Some of those areas of divergence would be highlighted in the postscript to the statement and the tension that exists there in that section does require some sort of resolution. I'm attempting to resolution here, end quote. So there's no substantial change. He does recognize there are differences, and he will talk. He does talk about that in this video um, that we're going to play. I don't know if we'll play that section, but he does talk about this spectrum of differences um, between views. So the video we're going to play, uh, we're going to play maybe five, I think it's about five minutes or so of the video, um, and talk some through some of the issues that are presented. Um, Doug Wilson is being interviewed by James White on the dividing line, talking about this federal vision controversy. There's some interaction with um, R. Scott Clark, who has written quite a bit on this issue. And I think the Heidel blog, which is um, Clark's blog, I think was started in to respond to federal vision. Um, so there's quite a bit of material on that blog about this. Um, and then they're also interacting with Brandon Adams, um, who we've had on the show, who is a dear brother, who has uh, extensive knowledge in covenant theology. Um, and Brandon Adams had done some writing against Federal Vision, and they interact with some of his points um, on here. I'll be honest, when I did my study um, for this, I tried to stay away from uh, third-party um, sources, right? things that were said about um, Federal Vision. I wanted to go to the source itself. That's why I spent a lot of time in Wilson's book. Um, I watched this this uh, video to hear it from Wilson himself. What is he saying and trying to understand it from uh, from his own perspective rather than the potentially biased views of others. Um, but 
Uh, I think that's usually when you're doing studies like this, it's usually best to go to the sources um, when you're doing this to make sure you're representing them properly. Um, but with that, let's dive into um, let's dive into this a little bit. And then we're going to offshoot some from the video and talk about some of the statements that he made in his book, Reformed is Not Enough, Reformed is Not Enough, and do some response um, to that. So let me pull up the video. And, we'll, and Sean, just yell stop if you want to say something. Sounds good. That one, not quite in that <laughs> form, but... Uh... But anyway, so, so now even back even back in the day, because um, our debate was in two thousand four, so that was you know not you know it's sort of in the same obviously the same time period. Um, I differentiated between yourself and go listen to that debate between Wilson and White. It it was two thousand four, a long time ago, um, where they debated on uh, our Roman Catholics brothers and sisters in Christ and Doug Wilson's covenantal or doug wilson's position is actually key to what we're discussing here some of that will come into what we're discussing here with federal vision so go listen to it. i think you can find it on AO Men's, um youtube channel and others from auburn avenue and from the presentations we made you right. had to to be able to accurately understand what somebody was saying right so these guys um i would say that a lot of the guys on the uh federal vision oatmeal stout end of things are are my friends. I've, I've got a good relationship with them, but I re would regard them as sometimes more Lutheran or, or more Anglican or um, uh, more friendly to uh, uh, sacramental efficacy in itself, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that they hold to the ex opere operato view of the Roman Catholic Church, but I think that there are Protestants who are not as skittish about that kind of thing as I uh, am as I was and as I am. So right. I'm, I'm an evangelical. In my book from that era, Reformed is Not Enough, I begin the book with three chapters in a row, uh, my Calvinistic bona fides, my Reformed bona fides, and my evangelical bona fides, to make it clear that I believe in the absolute necessity of the new birth, to make it clear that I believe in justification by faith alone plus nothing. Um, and so I've held to those views um, uh, throughout this whole controversy. But I do hold, and the thing that, that uh, made me federal vision at all is I do believe in an object, uh, 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 the objectivity of the visible covenant, the objectivity of um, uh, the visible church and its genuine relationship to God in Christ. And that was the... So this is a key aspect of his, um, of his covenant theology, and it's a theme that shows up in Reform is Not Enough, um, time and time again, um, that there is an objective covenant. Those who are members of it, including unbelievers, have a true covenantal um, uniting to Christ. Now, unbelievers, obviously, from his perspective, don't receive the salvific benefits, but they he does hold that uh, you can be truly united to Christ in some way, even as an unbeliever, if you are a member of the covenant community. Um, so, you know, we would see that as obviously problem, uh, problematic. And I think we talk about that in more detail later. Um, but I just wanted to point that out. Hinge of our debate back in 2004. Right. That's what we were talking about. But I absolutely affirm that if a, if a person is not regenerated by the Holy Spirit in, in his heart, if he's not, it doesn't have the heart of stone taken away and the heart of flesh uh, 
replacing it, uh, done by the Holy Spirit, he's lost. It doesn't matter what kind of Christian he was or calls himself. He's the kind of Christian that is going to hell. He's, he, he, doesn't, he was not a member of what classic Reformed theology would call the invisible church. He's not going to be part of what I would call the eschatological church. He didn't have the root of the matter in him. And the root of the matter is faith. Uh, begins with faith, continues by faith, finishes by faith. And so one of the weird things in this, in the, the trolls who come out, when if, if I attack uh, the people who are dis, uh, causing our civilization to disintegrate, and many of our evangelical institution, institutions are disintegrating right along with it, as you pointed out, the trolls come out, and one of the things they say over and over and over is federal vision, he denies justification by faith alone. Um, uh, but I don't deny justification by faith alone. I affirm it stoutly from beginning to end. I don't deny the imputation of the active obedience of Christ. I don't deny the imputation of the passive obedience of Christ as a forensic act that God performs at the point of, a, of an individual's true conversion. That's That happens, and I've maintained that now, maintained it all the way through. There Any comments there, Sean? Um, I guess, I guess two. Um, first, you'll notice that he he says beginning to end a lot. I, I affirm that salvation is by faith alone from beginning to end, and that's important to his view because, um, in his view, faith means covenant obedience. Faith is an obedient faith. Um, so it's important that that obedience remains from beginning to end in order to be saved. Um, which I think we're we're gonna discuss his views on, on faith a little bit later, right? That's not the next thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'll 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 hold off on um, discussing that, but just another little flavor in that direction because obviously that sounds very orthodox. A lot of yeah. that sounds very orthodox. Saying I believe in justification by faith alone. So the question obviously is like, what, what are you guys complaining about here? That sounds mm -hmm. th that's exactly what you guys say. And the issue is as we go through. Um, Wilson doesn't believe the same thing we do about what that faith is. And that's, that's the issue as we go through, hopefully we'll be able to demonstrate that when he uses faith justification by faith alone, he doesn't mean exactly what we mean. And that's the problem. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion around this theological system comes from is that it's the same terminology, but there are different meanings behind at least some of that terminology. Um, and it leads to confusion and then on the surface, people go, well, yeah, what's the problem? You know, he's saying the exact same thing you guys do, but you have to dig deeper. You have to look at the nuances. There's nuances there that are important, especially if you have a, a biblical understanding of covenant theology. Um, as you dive behind those words and the nuances behind them, they should stand out pretty quickly. It's like, oh, that's that's what he really means by this. That's what he really means yeah. by that. Well, I would say it's even stronger than a nuance, like it's fundamentally changing what it is. Um, I guess he, he does sort of present it as, oh, I'm being nuanced in my definition of faith. But um, I would say that it's it's very different. <laughs> it's not. Merely oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not very different. Just it's not apparently different to everybody. Mm -hmm. It's kind of mm -hmm. more of a subtle um, difference, although a significant one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The implications are huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, it has gospel, definitely gospel implications, no doubt. All right. Now, I think he's going to talk about the covenant of works, which is uh, an important part of our discussion.
There are five uh, points that were listed by Brandon Adams drawn from uh, R. Scott Clark. And my understanding is you do not follow any of them, which Correct. leads to tremendous confusion. So uh, number one, there is no covenant of works before the fall. The covenant of grace was established before the fall and continues after the fall. Right. I affirm the doctrine of the covenant of works, the prelapsarian covenant of works before the fall. The thing that throws some people is I don't like calling it the covenant of works. Right. Because I think the term is misleading. Because anybody who's biblically literate works in the Bible, in the Pauline, uh, in the Pauline vocabulary, works is a bad thing. You know, it's pharisaical attempts at self-justification. I would rather call it the covenant of life or the covenant of creation. Um, and I believe it was a gracious covenant, but I believe that God gave made a covenant with Adam. It's not the covenant of grace. It's a different covenant than what we are saved by. And the, the terms of the covenant, what Adam had to do was not eat from the tree in, uh, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. So the fulfillment of the covenant was contingent upon Adam's obedience. So you... Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. Um, so he wants to use terminology, talking about the covenant of works. Um, I'm going to read from the Westminster Confession of Faith, because one, this is where uh, the tradition that he claims to hold to is Presbyterian tradition. West, he claims to hold the Westminster, and he actually quotes the Westminster uh, more than once in his book, Reform is Not Enough. So he sees this as a very important covenantal standard. Um, and I think the Westminster Confession of Faith gives a very good definition of um, what the covenant of works, as understood by the Reformed, at least generally, means. Um, so chapter 7, paragraph 2 says, um, oh, do I not have it here? Oh, here it is. Uh, the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. So this is where we see Wilson deviating from this. So Wilson wants to say that the covenant of work, well, he says, I do believe in the covenant of works. I just don't like the title, but then proceeds to redefine the meaning. Um, so he really doesn't believe in the covenant of works as understood um, in the Reformed tradition, at least as purported by the Westminster Confession of Faith. But the covenant of works is what we see um, God making with Adam in the garden. You eat of this tree, you will die. You do not eat of it, you will live. The rewards of the covenant are based on what Adam does. Um, it's not based on faith. It's not based on faithfulness to a covenant um, per se as it relates to um, you know, the new covenant. It has everything to do with faithfulness to this particular covenant, this works covenant that is conditioned upon what Adam does. Um, and that's really a difference. So he sees the covenant of works or the covenant of life, or the covenant of creation as a fully gracious covenant. Adam would have believed by faith. God would have given him the benefits of that covenant, but it was based on his faith, not based on his works. Um, I think it's very clear from the text. You can see that Adam's works are what would give him the rewards of that covenant. You do this, you live. You don't do this, you die. Um, and it's not based on an instrument of faith as clearly taught in Romans chapter three and four, which is contrasted with man's fallen condition and his sinful state before God. Um, so I think we can see that very clearly from the scriptures. 
Um, but he and he clearly deviates from the reform tradition at this point. Yeah, I want to I want to read actually from uh, the section entitled the covenant of life from the original joint federal vision statement. And mm -hmm. this is just the affirmation section. We affirm that Adam was in a covenant of life with the triune God in the Garden of Eden, in which arrangement Adam was required to obey God completely from the heart. We hold further that all such obedience, had it occurred, would have been rendered from a heart of faith alone, in a spirit of loving trust. Adam was created to progress from immature glory to mature glory, but that glorification too would have been a gift of, gift of grace received by faith alone. So uh, he, uh, Doug Wilson didn't specifically in this video use the phrase faith alone in, in regards to the covenant, but he has used it elsewhere, even aside for having signed the federal vision statement. Um, so from my perspective, looking at that, you're saying you believe in a covenant of works, but it's also by faith alone. Like those, those are, those are opposite <laughs> opposite things like in my mind that that's like just a flat contradiction right. unless you have the understanding that he means something that they meant something different by faith alone um and that's mm -hmm. that's where the that's where the the inclination of there's that there's a problem here right it's like well adam was told to do something and had he done it he would have gotten it but you're saying that it's actually not meritorious it's faith alone you mean something different by faith alone than I do. You're right. Um, yeah. And I, I do find it very funny. James White asks him, so you do believe in a covenant of works? Oh, yes, I believe in a covenant of works. I just don't like the name. And also, it's not what's meant by a covenant of works. Like, like it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just very funny to me. Um, yeah, it's very and, odd. It, yeah. This is where he uses terminology that's familiar but means something yeah. different by it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's very odd and i wish james james doesn't push him see from what i remember and sean correct me if i'm wrong he doesn't challenge him on any of these issues no just no, more like really. here's a statement you know wilson do you agree with this or not no i don't i i don't agree with that criticism of me okay move on yeah well that he seems does... to be the crux of what was talked about here he does bring up a couple of differences between him and wilson but it's more yes, from he the does. Yeah, more from the perspective of the debate that they had. Yep. Um, whenever it was, two thousand. Just doesn't like put his hand to the fire and be like, "Well, yeah. what about this yeah. and what about yeah?" And I don't, I don't want to be too hard here, but uh, do you remember the Elephant Room controversy with Mark Driscoll and T.D. Jakes? Um, I don't. So, um, Mark Driscoll back in the day. And there was a couple other people involved got into the controversy because there was this, I don't remember if it was a show or something called The Elephant Room, where uh, T.D. Jakes, who is a modalist, uh, was brought in and they were questioning him about his modalism. And they asked him about it. He's like, yeah, I, and he said, yeah, I guess I'm okay with the, the terminology of three persons, but really I would prefer three manifestations, right? And they didn't, they didn't press him on it. They accepted it as an orthodox answer and, and moved on. <laughs> Um, not recognizing like, Hey, that terminology is associated with modalism. Like right. we need, we need to ask a couple, we need to ask a little bit more of a probing question here to really get at what the, uh, what the, what, like, what do you mean when you say that? Um, and I felt that was, that was lacking here because it's essentially the same thing. It's like, yeah, I guess I could affirm a covenant of works in some sense, but 
I don't like the name and I don't define it the way it's historically been defined. Like that, there, there needed to be a couple follow-up questions to really, really get right. into it. Yeah. Yeah. And he wouldn't be the only one to deny covenant works. Um, John Murray did. Um, and I think there were others throughout church history who fall into the reformed tradition who have mm-hmm. not liked that terminology, but mm-hmm. that's not going to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is the confessional standard. This is the historical reform view that there is a covenant of works that God condescended. Yes, it was gracious in that condescension, but there, God didn't just give him the benefits of the covenant without him doing something meritorious on his part. He had to mm-hmm. meet certain qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that's very, very clear from the text. And that's not the same thing as believing by faith, which Paul makes clear is merely an instrument and isn't counted towards you. And our confessions, I think both the Westminster and the Second London, both are very clear that faith is not counted to the persons themselves as righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Christ. So there's absolutely no room for saying that faith um, is a basis uh, for merit. Yet God uses the concepts of merit in his covenant that he made with Adam. Um, so there's there's just a clear difference in, in con And just quoting Paul to say, well, Paul doesn't like this pharisaical idea of works um, doesn't solve the problem. Um, Paul's concept of this pharisaical idea of works is post-fall after we are incapable of doing what we cannot do in Adam. And in our confession, the Second London is very clear about that. We can't fulfill the requirements in the same stance that Adam stood in his, sta- um, in his state of innocency. It's very clear about that. We can't do that. And so we need a completely gracious covenant in order to be saved because we can't fulfill the requirements that Adam could in his state of innocency. I mean, this stuff has been worked out for a long time. And I think we can see that very clearly from the scriptures. Post-fall, Paul is bringing forth a fully gracious solution. Pre-fall, where Adam could have kept that covenant perfectly, um, that was not needed. And um, God gave a condition that Adam was, in fact, able to keep. Um, So those are important distinctions and qualifications to make. Yeah, it also when you when you view a covenant as gracious like that, it destroys the ability to have a covenant of works, period. And then right. it's, it 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 opens up the question of well, was when Christ kept the law on our behalf, was it by grace or was it merited? And I mean if you're using that view, you'd have to say it's by grace and not merited, but Christ did merit um salvation he did merit it he kept the law perfectly he did succeed where adam failed so if you're if you're coming up with this framework where okay even if you obey it's still really by faith alone then the question is left what well how is how did christ merit anything which is why you probably had the issue of some of the federal revisionist guys not believing in the imputed righteousness of christ because there was no um righteousness for him to impute i don't know that for sure i probably should look into that more but it is interesting that there is there's an issue with the imputation of of christ because if all covenants are gracious how could you how could you um have a righteousness apart from that but paul is clear if it's by grace it's not by works if it's by works it's not by grace these two things are diametrically opposed so mm-hmm. if a covenant is by works and we see that we see that in uh, the um, 
in the garden with Adam, and we see that in the Mosaic Covenant. Do these things and you will live. Don't do these things and you will die, right? Then it is not considered a gracious covenant. Paul's uh, Paul's reasoning in Romans, uh, where is that in Romans? I forget. Um, did you, I think I had it up here. But anyway, in, in Romans, um, when he says, if it is by grace, then it is no longer of works. He's, he's saying that these two things are separate. They cannot be mixed. And unfortunately, in federal visionism, whether they intended to or not, they've mixed them. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately, law gospel is not as distinct as it should be. <laughs> mm-hmm. You would not embrace the description of monocovenantalism. No, I'm not a monocovenantalist. I don't. I And that that is the view that there's just one covenant throughout all human history that spans the fall. I believe there was one covenant before the fall that we broke, that we broke in our father, Adam, and that the second Adam is given in order uh, under the terms of a new covenant, uh, the covenant of grace to restore us. So two covenants and they had different um, conditions, different, different things that uh, in the first one, Adam had to obey God and not eat from the tree. And in the second covenant, uh, so that just seems to contradict himself. Now he's talking about a real covenant of works, but then he just said that the covenant of works or the covenant of life is gracious and not um, and not based on on works. And one thing I'll point out too. Well, actually, uh, let me finish this real quick because this will play into what he's talking about here. Christ had to obey his father and go to the go to the tree. So the first Adam disobeyed at a tree. The second Adam obeyed on a tree. Uh, so I believe it was two different covenants. The, another subtlety that some people miss here is that I believe that if Adam had a, kept the covenant, the first one, he would have done it by trusting God, by believing God. He he, he would have done it by faith. And I, I believe if he had withstood his probationary test, he would have thanked God afterwards so I think it was a gracious covenant because I think God is gracious. And I believe that Adam would have fulfilled it by trusting God and believing God and walking with God that way. So Adam would have been uh, a believing Adam, just as Christ was a believing Christ. But they would have been doing two different things with two different covenants. So, Sean, this goes back to what you said. So if Adam did the same thing in one covenant, he seems to be paralleling it. With Christ and other. Well, Christ, if Adam believed by faith in fulfilling of the covenant, then Christ would have had to do the same. There, it seems that this kind of, even though he does believe in the act of obedience of Christ, his terminology doesn't lend to that here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's uh, a lot of the problems I'd already brought up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So he says, "I'm not a monocovenantalist." However. In his book, Reformed is Not Enough, in chapter 7, um, he's very clear that he is, at least in, in a sense. So he says this, quote, Christians tend to understand covenantal history in one of two ways. Either God has made one basic covenant with men throughout history, or he has made more than one, possibly many. As we shall see, Scripture teaches that there is only one covenantal history, which we, we may call the covenant of grace, end quote. Um, but then in the book, he'll go on to talk about distinctions in covenants and and I don't remember if he was making administrative dis, administrative substance distinctions like Presbyterians typically do um, he didn't say that from what I recall 
Um, but he seems to clearly see, even in his book, that there are distinct covenants. Um, but he says that there's only one covenant, uh, which is the covenant of grace. So yeah. in that sense, he is a monocovenantalist. Well, he might just be inconsistent because I, I understand. Yeah, I think at the very least he's inconsistent. Yeah, the distinction yeah. he's making here. I, I, rec- I, I don't agree with what he's saying, but I recognize he's saying that the covenant Adam kept had different a different thing for Adam to keep as opposed to Christ. Therefore, they're different covenants. I get that. Um, but yeah, that then to say like, well, they're not real in the terms of history. They're not real distinctions. It is all one covenant that makes it hard to. to then yeah. And then it's like, are back. you talking about administration, which is how. Um, you would find your typical Presbyterian yeah. discussion around the differences yeah. of the covenant, or are you talking about really different covenants? I don't remember him talking about any administrative differences. Mm-hmm. Um, you might yeah. believe that, he might not. At the very least, it, it's an apparent contradiction um, because he's saying here that there are different covenants that were made, but then he says in his book that there's only one covenant, the covenant of grace. And that's mm-hmm. probably where people get this idea of monocovenantalism mm-hmm. um, is from... Uh, where he talks about just one covenant of grace. Thank you for listening to part one of our discussion of Federal Vision as it relates to Doug Wilson. Join us next week as we release part two. Thank you.